Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, welcome back. Thank you. It's uh, good to be back. I encountered the plague a couple weeks ago. That was that was an exciting time, uh, but I'm okay now. Um, made it two and a half years. Pretty good. Yeah, I think everyone that, that didn't have it is, has gotten it in the last uh, couple months. So glad you're back uh, healthy, 100% uh, off the COVID list uh, and, and ready to jump back into talking about Royals baseball. Also joining us is uh, Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, I, I'm doing better than Brad Keller. I've not been demoted out of the rotation, so I'm pretty happy about that. That's good. Yeah, we, we like to keep you on the front line. And uh, yeah, let's let's jump right into it. Brad Keller uh, demoted uh, to the bullpen this week came as a little bit of a surprise. I think I, I don't at least I wasn't expecting a, a move like that. Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. Like, did you did you kind of see this coming? And what do you think this says for Brad Keller's place in the Royals organization right now? Well, Brad Keller is different than, um, you know, guys like Chris Bubich and Brady Singer um, and even, you know, a Jackson Coar type of player because um, Brad Keller um, is a free agent soon. Um, and the difference between, you know, being a free agent soon and being a free agent years from now um, is a pretty big deal. And it's pretty big deal for a couple of reasons. Um, but one major reason is uh, is salary. So Brad Keller is um, going to be a free agent in 2024. Well, that means he's in arbitration. So this year uh, he's making $4.825 million. Oh, to make almost $5 million and get devoted and make even more next year. That's, that's, be a professional athlete if you can. That's, that's a great gig. Um, but, you know, he's going to be making, you know, probably six ish million, at least, you know, somewhere between five and a half, six million probably next year. Um, and, you know, he hasn't been really all that great, you know, over the last couple of years. He had a really great 2018. Um, that was kind of a breakout year. Um, and he was uh, really good in 2020 also. But had a bit of a down year comparatively in 2019. And over the last two years, he has been, you know, kind of okay. He's never really struck out a lot of guys. Um, and, you know, he's he's basically a ground ball type of pitcher. And the other thing, I think it was uh, is Craig, uh, Craig Brown that, that pointed this out. But um, he has been injured a lot in September. Um, and you can kind of think of him as like an innings eater, quote-unquote. Um, but he has pitched more than 140 innings um, just once in his career um, in 2019. So he's not really been an innings eater. He's been, you know, um, laid out for varying injuries or arm, you know, nothing too serious. But he just he hasn't been able to pitch, you know, 180 innings like you would hope an innings eater would. So it kind of makes sense on one hand. Um, to maybe move him in the pen, see what he's like there, you know, give him a test out and then see, you know, if you want to trade him in, in the, you know, trade him next year or keep him around next year. Um, but, yeah, I also can't help but think that, you know, maybe the Brad Keller would be the type of guy, you know, like Jake Junis, um, who would flourish elsewhere. I mean, that's probably true for the entire Royals pitching staff, but Brad Keller specifically, um, you know, he's got a couple of nice pitches. You you wonder if if another organization couldn't squeeze what the Royals have not been able to squeeze out of him. Um, but you know, the difference between a guy like Brad Keller and a guy like Jake Junis, like I said, um, Brad Keller doesn't strike out a lot of guys, um, and his career strikeout to walk ratio is under two. Um, and, you know, a little bit arbitrary, but you want a starting pitcher to have a strikeout to walk ratio of, you know, at least two or higher. His is at a 1.84. And when your strikeout to walk ratio is that low, you're basically totally at the whims of um, the balls and play gods. Um, And that's really kind of a dangerous place to be at 26. We've already seen what Zach Greinke, um, you know, has has been like um, with – kind of a similar situation. He has his ups, he has his downs. He can't reliably shut down people. Of course, Granke has a reason for it. He's, um, you know, in his late 30s. He's on the downswing of his career. But Keller should theoretically be able to strike out more guys than he has been at age 26. So it's a combination of limited upside, um, lack of pitching into September. But to answer your question, it is it did kind of come up as a shock, at least to me. Yeah, you mentioned him possibly doing better somewhere else, and 
that was interesting just this week. Uh, Eno Saris, who uh, does some great work at The Athletic, he had an article about some of the starting pitchers that have had the best increase in uh, what he calls Stuff Plus. It's a metric he uses to measure their uh, the, the p- physical characteristics of the pitch. And Keller had one of the best improvements. Um, now, his fastball has gotten clobbered this year, um, and he's thrown it less, which is kind of interesting. Um, he's thrown a slider more. He's actually, like I think, sixth in the league in slider usage by a starting performance, uh, starting pitcher this year. So I don't know if that's a concerted effort on his part to like back away from the fastball a little bit. Um, but he's a guy that, kind of, like you said, he doesn't strike a, strike a lot of guys out. Um, and he kind of relies on move, late movement. Uh, with, with he was, I think he was one of the, the guys that got credited with uh, using the seam shifted wake that I think Alec Lewis and some other people, you know, as well, have written about where he gets kind of that unusual drag on his fastball. Um, and he's actually throwing it harder this year, and I wonder if that has been a reason why it's getting clobbered because it's not an overpowering fastball, and if you're throwing it harder, um, I think it's very likely you're not getting the same kind of movement, and a straight fastball at 95 miles per hour is uh, no bueno in Major League Baseball. A lot of guys are going to square up on that. Uh, Jeremy, where do you see Brad Keller fitting into next year's plans, uh, and do you see, I mean, is this? do you think this is a temporary uh, you know, banishment to the pen to kind of work on some stuff, or is this maybe signal some longer term issues with Keller where he, maybe he doesn't fit into next year's plans? So this is, this is a really, really weird situation to me. Um, I've just been kind of looking at his stats, uh, his, kind of his secondary stats, trying to see like, you know, what's missing? Why is, why is Brad Keller bad now? And, and I look at his stats and they're all like right near his career averages. Um, except the only exception is his home runs are uh, a little bit higher, but that's been true for the past two years. So that's not something that feels like it's kind of flukish. Um, and his left on base percentage numbers have also gone significantly down. Um, his two really good years were 2018, 2019. He had a left on base percentage of uh, north of 75. And uh, the last two years, it's been under 70. Um, so that that's that's going to be a huge difference over the course of a season, uh, as far as runs scored, and so you, I, I guess the question you have to ask yourself when you're wondering uh, is what, what does Brad Keller's future have for him? Is do you think he's more like that pitcher who was able to leave runners on base, or more like the pitcher who lets them all score? Um, and I don't have the answer for that right now. It's, it's just been kind of weird. I was also very shocked that he got demoted because, like I said, his numbers are all pretty where they normally are. Uh, strikeouts, walks, uh, Babbitt, they're all right near his career norms, his ground ball percentage. Um, and I, the only thing I could figure is that the Royals uh, know that, you know, he has kind of a history of being injured in September, of having dead arm in September. And they said, let's just get out ahead of it this year. Uh, we'll we'll go ahead and stick him in the bullpen, and I I expect them to let him compete for rotation spot next year. Um, I mean, this was this guy was their 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 number one starter at the beginning of last year. He was their opening day starter last year. Um, he's still only 26. I, I feel like they they expect a lot from him, and and they they've been obviously disappointed the past couple of years, but without these huge disparities in his secondary numbers. It's they, they might look at it and go, well, maybe he could find it again. Maybe he's just unlucky right now. But as Matt pointed out, you know, he's, his strikeout to walk ratio has never been very good. Um, and, and kind of the discussion, at least around Royals Review, has always been, is Brad Keller good or is Brad Keller lucky? Because we look at his numbers and we're like, he doesn't strike anybody out. How could he be this good? But then he just kept doing it. And then he stopped. So uh, the question is, the the thing that we have to figure out that the Royals really have to figure out is were, was Royals review right the entire time that it didn't make any sense that he was ever that good or were we wrong the entire time and oh yeah he was he, he could somehow make those weird numbers turn into really good results but uh, it, for some reason it stopped and they could uh, they got to figure out how to fix it I think what was most surprising to me about the demotion was kind of the timing and it's not like you know there was some stud prospect pushing his, you know, pushing that rotation spot. Like it's not like Jackson Coar 
has figured it out all of a sudden is like, oh, yeah, we got to give him a chance. One more look. Uh, they ended up giving the spot to Max Castillo on Thursday, uh, who I like. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily like a long-term answer, but sure, give him some uh, you know spot starts. I'm okay with that. Um, but, you know, a little bit of an unusual move without, you know, without a really obvious plan B. So, um, you know, this is a team that's looking for innings. Uh, they have not gotten a lot of length out of their starting pitching the last couple of years, and they don't have a lot of starting pitchers. Um, you know, even with the depth that they have, you know, they've kind of scrambled and haven't had a whole lot of answers. Uh, you know, a guy like Jonathan, he's a little good for a couple starts, then he'll regress. Carlos Hernandez hasn't, you know, he's really regressed this year. Jackson Carr hasn't been able to figure it out. I think they have something with Singer and, and maybe Lynch and perhaps even Chris Bubich, but, um, you know, they're going to need a couple more guys. Uh, and, and Keller is, you know, kind of is what he is, and he's an okay fifth starter, I think. Uh, whether or not that's going to be worth $6, 7000000 million next year, that's kind of the decision they have to go and decide. I don't know if that's worth a reliever, you know, if, if paying that salary for a reliever is worth it, um, especially we don't know when we don't know what he can do as a reliever. Um, so I don't know. It's like they got a lot of really, really interesting decisions to make with them. I'm, I'm really surprised by it. I, I thought Brad Keller had a spot in this rotation for the next year and a half at least. Uh, and, I mean, it wasn't that long ago people were talking about him having a lot of trade value or possibly extending him. And now he's in the bullpen, and I think his, his future is very much in doubt with the Royals. Um, I did want to turn a little bit to how the Royals have played lately, and they've been playing better. And not only are they playing better, but they're a lot more fun to watch, and they seem like they're having they're having a little bit more fun too. Now, some of that's winning, of course, but uh, Matthew, you wrote that it's not all about winning. Uh, what what did you kind of how do you kind of feel about the vibe shift in that Royals clubhouse? I think uh, we first saw this in Toronto, um, and the reasons for that were really weird and and only you know could happen in this uh, post COVID nineteen world, um, but. The, the upshot of all of that was what happened is 10 players, most of them veterans, a lot of them veterans, um, at least, you know, the, the loudest voices in the clubhouse, the longest tenured Royal, um, longest tenured Royals, you know, a couple of young guys, but uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of what, what you would think as like the main part of the clubhouse or, or the most important couple of guys um, were gone. And what happened is we got this huge influx of young talent and uh, everybody's going to remember, you know, kind of that first game in which the Royals were really scrappy. Afterwards, Lopez said, you know, it was an unselfish win, which was kind of an ironic thing to say, uh, considering why all those people were gone. But um, the the thing about the those Royals or that Royals team during those Toronto Blue Jays is uh, during the Toronto Blue Jays series, is they weren't that good. They won one game. They lost three. But you could tell instantly that the vibe was totally different. You know, I remember um, Pasquantino hitting a home run, a go-ahead home run, um, and it was the second or third game of that series, um, and everyone just went crazy. And I hadn't seen, you know, the clubhouse really get that excited about something um, early, earlier in the year. And they went on to lose the game, but, you know, everything seemed really, really great and cohesive. Um, and, you know, after the All-Star game, what happened? Well, the Royals traded away uh, Benintendi, they traded away Merrifield, they traded away Gallagher, all three of them um, were in that group of 10, and so that basically necessitated kind of a longer-term, you know, shift in clubhouse power to different guys, you know? And the Royals have not been great, uh, but they have been better, they have been watchable. Uh, I would watch a team with six or seven rookies in the lineup lose, uh, way more than I would a team with five 30-year-olds eke out a win. You know, that's not really very interesting to me. Um, but the, the rookies, you know, seeing what they do, seeing the individual, you know, plate appearances, see how they progress, just seeing what they can do, that's pretty fun. Um, and in, in the article, I, I said that, you know, uh, a lot of people tend to think that it's one way or the other, right? Either uh, good vibes happen because of winning or they cause the winning. Uh, and I don't really think that's the case. Um, if you look at science or something, uh, physics and biology, there's there's uh, something that's called like a complex system. And in a complex system, you have two or more entities which are affecting each other and i think that's exactly what the quote-unquote good vibes or the clubhouse 
mood and winning are is that they're a complex system, right? Obviously, we all know from our jobs and our school and, and everything it, that we've experienced that really bad moods and really sour, dysfunctional groups of people affect how good you are at, at doing your work or doing your schoolwork. Or they, they, they definitely affect that. But we also know that if something is going well, uh, that affects the mood. So that's kind of a back and forth thing where both factors are affecting each other. But I think regardless of how good the Royals have been, and they have not been very good, they had a losing record in their last, like, I don't know, 50, 50 games. You know, let's let's not, you know, say that the Royals have been doing great because they haven't. They've been doing better. Uh, but the mood in the clubhouse and the vibe in the clubhouse is totally different because of the different guys who have um, the the largest voices now. I think we've seen in real time Vinny Pasquantino step up uh, and to be a, a really kind of loud voice that the Royals kind of have been lacking in a way um, and a really positive uh, and team, team sort of oriented voice um, and one who's just, you know, not apologetic about what he wants to do. He had an interview with... Uh, someone about uh, his player of the week honors. And he said, I'm tired of being called, being called fun. We're tired of being called fun. We're ready to win. And that's just such a a refreshing uh, thing to see, you know, a rookie stand up and just absolutely take the bull by the horns and, and just, you know, every, everything I read that comes out of his mouth is, is hilarious. Um, Is how, how he talks about Nate Eaton, how he talks about, you know, it's really great. And he's just one player. Obviously, there's other players involved. Nate Eden, Michael Massey, Nick Prado. Those guys were the guys who replaced, you know, uh, Merrifield and, and Gallagher and uh, Benintendi. So it's really fun to see. Um, we'll see if it holds up, if the Royals continue to struggle, which they have been over the past week. That's the real test, right? And I, I suspect it'll be better than it was in June, but I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, and they they they're they're young kids. They're gonna have ups and downs. They had a twenty what twenty six inning scoreless streak. The, the the offense has gone to hiding a little bit, but I think when you talk about clubhouses, like every team has ups and downs. The good clubhouses, I think, allow you to kind of pick each other up. Um, you don't have to press as much. You trust in your teammates. Uh, you have faith in your teammates. You're not gonna go through the motions maybe as much. Um, and so I think so that how you handle that adversity, I think. Um, is where that clubhouse camaraderie and and good vibes, if you will, uh, really comes into play. Uh, and we'll see. I, I don't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overstate it because I I you know for a long time I was in the you know veteran presence clubhouse gets overrated, which I think it does to an extent. But I think there there is something to it, and you certainly rather have a good clubhouse that with a guy like Vinny Pascantino. You're right. It just seems like people are just drawn to him. Like he seems like a natural leader. Uh, you know, he's, first of all, he's a big teddy bear to begin with. Uh, but also he, uh, he just seems to be the guy who, who gets it, who says the right things, who kind of gets the big picture. Uh, I think Alec Lewis had a really good profile on him when he was first, uh, kind of tearing it up in the minor leagues this year about how that's kind of the, the way he's been. He's always been at the, at the amateur level. He's always kind of the guy that other, his teammates were drawn to and, and wanted to feed off of. And so it's nice to have that kind of guy in your clubhouse. And not only that, but also to be one of your best hitters. I mean, it's it's one thing for like, you know, a utility infielder who barely plays to be that guy. It's better when your your cleanup hitter is that guy. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of, how the, those players mature and, uh, you know, how they come up together, what kind of effect that has on their development. But in a lot of ways, Jeremy, it does kind of remind at least some fans of 2000. 11 2012 when the the baby royals back then were first coming up eric hosmer mike moustakas uh you had guys like alex gordon and billy butler already in place yudeski you had lorenzo kane salvi um and those guys kind of grew up together uh that team went on went on to contend in, by 2013 uh what kind of timeline i know it's early you know we just got some of these guys called up but like is this a team that you think can contend as soon as next year or are we looking at a longer timeline for them so the thing about 2011 and 2012 is that those guys started to come up, right? And then they had some growing pains. And it didn't really start to come together until 2014. 
Um, and and I think what we've seen this last week with the Dodger series and the Minnesota series are some growing pains. Uh, some weeks, everybody's hitting doubles and everything's great. And other weeks, uh, nobody's hitting and you're losing all your games. Um, and that's just kind of one of the things that's going to happen. Um, interestingly enough, that now that I say that out loud, that actually reminds me of even the 2014 and the 2015 Royals. All those guys came up together, and it seemed like they were always all hitting together, or they were all not hitting together. They were always together, though. Uh, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see if that kind of continues here. But, uh, yeah, as far as the timeline for competing, I feel like a lot of that, a lot of their timeline for competing is going to depend on the willingness to spend money on free agency by the ownership. Uh, Baseball America came out today with the new minor league rankings, uh, updated minor league rankings, and the Royals are ranked 30th out of 30 teams, uh, which is not good. And so they can't really expect a lot more reinforcements from the minor leagues. You're not, there's no Bobby Wood Jr. Bobby Wood Jr.'s here. He's not coming up from AAA now. Uh, you know, Vinny Pasquantino, Nick Prado, and Jay Melendez, they're here. They're not something we could look forward to coming to improve the team now. Um, they can still get better at the major league level, and, and I, I think a lot of us expect uh, Pasquantino, Prado, uh, all of them to get better at the major league level, but uh, there's a question of how quickly and how much. And so since they don't have anything in the minor league level, it's hard to think of how they could they're, – they're not going to be able to just promote from within and say, yeah, you know, we only had a couple holes and we promoted a couple guys and now we're good. Um, they're not. They're also not going to be able to make trades because if you trade, uh, you know, you can't. You don't have any good prospects that anybody wants. And if you trade a Nick Prado, well, then now you've created a hole where Nick Prado was in your lineup. And have you gotten better, or have you just changed where your weakness is? Um, so I think a lot of it is going to depend on free agency. Now, if they go out and spend buco bucks on uh on free agency this offseason that doesn't guarantee that they're going to win in 2023 because like i said they've still got some growing pains to probably go through but if they don't spend in free agency they're they're probably not going to be competitive anytime soon so um it's 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 a question of uh, to to my mind it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens this offseason what happens next offseason in that if J.J. Piccolo and Dayton Moore are kind of in danger of losing their jobs, they might, and John Sherman is willing to spend money, you might see them go out and say, okay, let's just hope the, the young guys don't have uh, a lot of big slumps, and let's go get some free agents to patch the holes in here. They Like, like has been mentioned, they kind of need a couple new starters. Uh, they probably need a few more relievers. They, they could do with at least one more right-handed bat because uh, everybody's lefty. But, um, you know, so there, there's some some big holes, uh, not big, but some reasonable sized holes. They filled some gaps, certainly. Brady Singer looks like an ace right now. Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich look like they can hold down spots in the rotation right now. Um, but that still leaves you with two starters. Scott Barlow is a closer. Uh, everybody else is a question mark in that bullpen. And then, you know, your lineup is very lefty heavy and and like I said, prone to slumps because they're they're young guys. So you're going to have to go out and get two, three, four, maybe even five guys to to really uh, say that okay, now we've got a chance of having good players at every position that we need them. And then you you relying on the the young guys to just not have those big slumps. So I, even if they go out and spend big, I wouldn't think next year would necessarily be the year. Um, unless the rookies just go out of their minds, like we gotta, they gotta all avoid sophomore slumps, and they all gotta come up and do even better next year than they did this year, which is possible, I guess. But uh, history shows us it's not very likely. Um, but uh, if if these guys are all progressing at a reasonable rate, and uh, the Royals either find a couple diamonds in the rough in their minor league system, or they go out and they make some savvy free agent signings, uh, then 2024 doesn't seem entirely unreasonable but again it's it's not going to be just because of these guys it's going to be because you went out and got a couple like a, a, at least a three and a four for your rotation and at least one more reliever probably two and, a, and another right-handed bat yeah it does seem like they're kind of in a position where 
they they would want to make a splash in this offseason to kind of supplement some of the young players. Uh, but I just question, like, where does it come from? Because I can't see them necessarily splurging, you know, $100 million for a top-shelf starting pitcher. Um, I don't think the the veterans on a one-year, two-year deal, like a Clayton Kershaw or Noah Syndergaard, are going to want to come to Kansas City. Um, and so then you look at, you know, so, you know, is it going to be like an Ian Kennedy type free agent, which that cost $75 million and we got one pretty good year out of him and then kind of mixed results after that. Um, you know, sh- I don't know. I don't know uh, where, where the Royals are going to go out in the free agent market and, and, and get that kind of player. So then you look at the trades and, you know, this isn't like the James Shields situation where the Royals had a Will Myers and a Jake Odorizzi and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the players to to get uh, and Mike Montgomery to get a James Shields. You know, their farm, like Matthew mentioned, their farm system is poorly, poorly rated right now. Um, it's got I think there's some some talent there, um, certainly, but it's 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 got to kind of reestablish value. Um, and so I don't know. I don't think they really have the the bullets to go out and make that kind of trade. So I don't know. If, if you want to make a splash, you're going to have to trade. You're going to make have to probably make a pretty painful trade, I think. A Nick Prado, an MJ Melendez, and I'm not sure they want to do that. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like we're maybe a year away from making the splash. No, that doesn't, that doesn't mean they won't make some moves. I think they will make some moves in free agency to get some mid-tier free agents in to kind of supplement this roster. But Matthew, I mean, you're going to, you're going to play Royals GM in the simulation that we do every offseason. What's your plan for the Royals? What, what do you think they will do or what do you think they should do? They're kind of in a tricky spot because uh, their farm system sucks. I mean, that's just how it how it is. Um, the what what's going to happen is um, the Royals are going to say, "Oh, we promoted all of our top prospects, and they're all graduated. So of course, our farm system is not very good because all those top prospects are on the major league roster." Well, so here's the thing: in 2012. Okay, remember, after 2011, they had Danny Duffy. They, gra- they graduated Danny Duffy, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Salvador Perez, uh, Greg Holland, all those guys. Um, and even guys like, you know, uh, Givatella, who didn't pan out, but he was a good prospect, graduated all those guys, right? Huge, huge, huge talent shift from the minor leagues to the big leagues. In 2012, before 2012, the next season, they were, by Baseball America, ranked second overall. Second in uh, farm system. So even after they graduated all these guys, they were the second best farm system because they still had Will Myers. They still had Jake Odorizzi. They still had guys like Kelvin Herrera who were um, prospects at the time. They had, you know, deeper guys. And obviously not every prospect is going to pan out. But the thing is, um, at that point, the Royals had a lot of prospects who, um, you know, still had shine at the time and were still on the, you know, further in the, the, the hope end of their career, you know? And in, even in 2013, they were a top 10, top five, something like that uh, squad in terms of um, or organization, in terms of farm system. This year, they promoted all their guys and they're basically empty. They, they've, got, they've got no one. Really, um, the Baseball America, you know, they released their, their ranking and then their podcast. They basically said, you know, the, the Royals don't have any impact guys. And I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think Gavin Cross um, could rise to the major leagues really quickly. I'm going to be a pretty good right fielder very quickly and, you know, be an impact bat um, and, you know, a pretty good defender in right field. Um, good, good bat in right field. You know, he could be a good right fielder pretty quickly. But I think after that, who's your second prospect? Like, there's, they don't really have any really good players. And the thing that you have to remember is that, yes, they have some guys who you can think, oh, man, maybe this guy could be a good center fielder. You know, maybe Nick Lofton could be good. Maybe, um, you know, I see, I, I'm even struggling to think of some names. Um, the, the thing is every farm system have, has those guys. Every farm system has the types of players who, if things went right or, uh, you know, they developed a little, you know, they developed nicely, they, they could, you know, become major, major leaguers. Uh, Tyler Gentry's another one. Uh, he's hit really well um, in AA and in high A this year. Still just 22, 23. Um, but the thing is every organization has guys like Nick Lofton and Tyler Gentry. Every organization. The thing is, do you have guys like a Bobby Witt 
Or do you have guys like a Casey Mize? Or do you have guys that are really well-polished, high-upside players who are very safe players? And the Royals just don't have those guys. And those are the type of guys who, if you already have a stable of, of players in the big leagues, like they did in 2011, you can trade a Will Myers because you have guys in the big leagues already. They don't have that Will Myers to trade. They they don't have Jake Arizzi, Arizzi to, to add to that. They, they they have really not a lot. So to answer your question, what am what am I going to do when I when I handle the SB Nation, uh, Sam? I'll probably just go for it. You know, I'll try to see what I can get in terms of shortstop free agents, um, center field free agents. Um, you know, starting pitchers. The Royals do have a lot of money to work with. That's true. But the the problem with the Royals is that. Lo and behold, just like they they did a decade ago, they've been drafting poorly. They had two top seven picks in um, Ace Lacy and and uh, and Frank Demaz, uh, and both of them are flailing right now, and they're nowhere near top hundred list because they shouldn't be. Um, and you can't you can't have like back to back top seven picks that aren't in your top ten like less than two years later. Um, the Royals have just absolutely they look to have whiffed on two really, really, really important, desperately important draft picks. Um, and those are the type of guys that you need in order to make the type of trade for James Shields um, or the type of trade that nets you a real big um, arm or somebody who can really help your team help take them to the next level. And that's why it's important to continue to have the minor league prospects um, and to have a lot of them is you can do what the San Diego Padres have done. The San Diego, the San Diego Padres have produced multiple great internal players, and then they had enough prospects to swing for Juan Soto. Um, independent of the ability to sign him, that's something that the Royals have not been able to do. They haven't had that second wave of prospects from which they can draw from in order to supplement the big league team. They're just without that. So it's really all of that is all of that rambling is just to say that I don't really know if this is going to be a, you know, I, I think if they succeed, it'll be pretty quick. And if they don't succeed, then they're not going to succeed for years because they just don't have the talent in the system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, you know, the baseball America pod, uh, the guys had a podcast after they did the ranking organizational rankings. They did talk about the Royals a little bit and, and they said, look, they, they, their rankings emphasize, high impact talent over depth. And I think, I do think the Royals have some depth. Uh, I think if you look at the fan graphs uh, prospect rankings, they kind of are more um, uh, quantitative with it where they take the future value rankings and, you know, give assign you know, a numeric value for 50 value for future value player, 45 future value player, and so on and so forth. And the Royals, uh, they don't have many high impact uh, prospects, but they do have a lot of like 40 future value guys. Uh, so I do think there's depth there, but yeah, you're right. There's just not the high impact talent right now. Now that can change in a year. Uh, we'll see what Gavin Cross does. We'll see what the, this year's draft class does. We'll see if some of the pitchers can get back on track. We'll see if Aza Lacy can learn to throw strikes. But uh, it, it, it definitely needs to get back to that level where they have some high upside talent. They need another wave because some of these guys on the roster now, I like I like them, but we know that a couple of them aren't going to make it and. They're going to need some other guys to supplement that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk to Al- Alec Duvall. He can talk more about the uh, the farm system, Alec Duvall of Royals Farm Report. And then we'll come back with Matthew and Jeremy and wrap things up with our Royals Review Reviews. Well, joining me now is Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing good, Max. You know, we're getting into the back-to-school swing, so, you know, it's back to work for us uh, teachers who get the summer off, so getting back into the swing of things, but that's about it for me. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we had back-to-school night tonight, so I got to meet all the teachers at the, my son's high school, so, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate the job you have to do because uh, I cannot do it, that's for sure. <laughs> but I am glad that, you know, not only do you uh, – 
your fine work in the education, but you also uh, have a great site at Royals Farm Report where you guys talk about Royals prospects. And it's nice to have you on because we haven't had you on since the, the draft and since the trade deadline. And let's start with the trade deadline a little bit. The Royals, uh, throughout the summer, I guess counting June when they traded Carlos Santana and July when they made trades with the Braves for a draft pick, uh, trading their draft pick away, also uh, making the deal for Andrew Benintendi to the Yankees and Whit Merrifield to the Blue Jays, and also making a trade with the Diamondbacks for Luke Weaver, although uh, we can focus just on the prospects if you want. But the Royals added 12 players into the organization at the trade deadline, 12 minor leaguers at least. Was there anyone uh, or maybe a player or two that really stood out to you among the players they acquired this summer? Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think Max Castillo is our highest ranked prospect that they added via trade. He is actually, no, it would be Beck way. So they more to the point, they got a lot of really interesting arms. Uh, Max Castillo appears to be set to make his Royals debut. Is that tomorrow? That they sounds like yeah, it sounds like Brad he's gonna start. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Max Castillo, we got from Toronto for Whit Merrifield. We'll get to see him in the big leagues tomorrow. And then you know Beckway, T.J. Sikama, Andrew Hoffman, and even Chandler Champlain. They just got a lot of pitching depth through trades. And you know I think it's really interesting because obviously you know there's there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, uh, quote unquote, and a lot of the Royals' young arms are, are struggling a bit uh, in 2022. But there's always that old saying that once you think you've got enough pitching, go get more. So is it is it possible the Royals would have traded, you know, for, for all these pitchers, even if the pitching had been doing well? It, sure, it's, it's possible. But I do kind of wonder if, if adding all these pitchers is kind of a, a hedge on some of the guys they've already got in the system because – they went out and they got a lot of it, and, and a lot of it I think is really talented. I think they got four or five different guys who have a chance of some kind to start in the big leagues, and that doesn't even address what they did in the draft. So they have added a ton of pitching over the last month and a half, and, and honestly, I like a lot of what they went and did. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you mentioned like going out and getting more pitching, and you really cannot have enough pitching. I mean, you can always double up uh, on it and, and, and add more guys to the farm system. And it is interesting, you know, they've had some success, I think, recently developing more starting pitching, at least than they have in the past. Um, but it maybe it also makes some sense kind of going out of outside of your organization and picking up some arms from other teams uh, and seeing if you have some success there. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Speaking of the draft, uh, you know, the Royals did go out and, and take Gavin Cross in the first round, but they went pretty college heavy uh, overall in the draft. Did you see any kind of a strategy there? Or do you think that's just kind of how the draft uh, played out or, or is there kind of a concerted effort now? You know, there was a new scouting director, Danny Onaveros taking in charge of this draft. Is that maybe a change in philosophy or what, what's going on with the draft philosophy? You know, I think, the more I look at it, the the less I think that was, you know, planned in advance. I think part of the problem is, and, and we heard it from, you know, Joe Doyle of Prospects Live mentioned it. I heard it from, was it Ben Badler? No. Maybe it was Jeff Ponce that we had on. Uh, the, yeah, it was Jeff Ponce. We had him on during the live show that we of our draft coverage. He's from with Baseball America. And the Royals even mentioned it a little bit, I think. But the, the high school kids just wanted a lot of money this year, and it just seemed like a year where if you were going to sign a prep player, you were going to have to fork over some cash. And in order to create depth, I think it just happens that you know college kids typically have less leverage. And so they did a really good job of adding guys with some ceiling without having to you know pay one guy a ton of money. Uh, they got, you know, Caden Wallace, their second-round pick, was a sophomore in college. So he's younger than your average college draftee. He's also got a lot of ceiling and a decent floor because he's a college bat. So David Sandlin, an 11th-round pick, I think he's a third-year guy, but he's a, technically a sophomore. So they And then they got Austin Charles late in the draft, who was a borderline top 100 prospect in the draft class that they – were able to talk out of signing with or going to uh, UC Santa Barbara. So they did a great job of, of finding 
you know, some safety, some comfort with the college level, but also some ceiling and, and some projectability with guys that they got on day three. So, you know, I don't think it was planned. I, I really don't buy that they were like, we're going to draft a bunch of college kids to save our jobs because that's not how the draft works. Um, but they, I think they did a really good job. And, and, you know, on day two, we were sitting there kind of looking at their day two picks like, uh, what? And then on day three, it just it just made so much sense. So uh, really like what they did, really like a lot of the guys they added. Um, and, and I just, you know, I think they've done a great job of adding a, a really diverse portfolio of prospects uh, since the draft. Well, I think, yeah, the Austin Charles selection and signing really – which was kind of a coup, I, I think. It made I think it made the rest of the draft make a lot more sense because they signed him for quite a bit over slot, like you said. Like it was it was close to you know top you know first couple round money um, to get him from his college commitment. What's interesting is he's a two way player. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you have a sense of which way you'd like to? See? I mean, do you think he'll proceed as a as a true two way player? Like he'll pitch and he'll you know hit at the lower minors. Is there? Do you think they'll? Is there one you prefer? How do you kind of see them developing a player like that? Yeah, I would. I would pitch him and DH him to start, uh, especially in Arizona. There's there's nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, he can go. He can get all kinds of reps in the outfield or at shortstop or wherever they want him to play during the day, and then DH at night. So I would let him pitch and DH is the path I would give him personally. But I think it was MLB Pipeline in their rankings today said that he's going to start off as a predominant hitter with pitching as kind of a backup plan, which, you know, I don't I, – I personally thought he was a much better pitcher. So we'll see. He has, I mean, Stantonian power. It is ridiculous. Like, watching him get a hold of a baseball, seriously, it's like, you know, obviously he's 18. I'm not comparing him to Giancarlo Stanton, but just the sheer – raw power that he has is is crazy to watch on a teenager and so if you can teach him to hit i mean i think i saw that there were you know it's it's a bad comparison because i don't i'm i don't think anybody's trying to compare him to aaron judge but if you talk about judge as a high school kid just the you know a big raw athlete and you're trying to teach him to hit because they just a god-given ability to hit the ball far and now you're trying to refine that hit tool, you know, it, it's kind of like that with him. I just don't know what that looks like at the professional level. I do think he can pitch. I, he's got a crazy delivery in that it's so simple. And it kind of – it's 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 not so dissimilar as to his swing, right? Like he takes a nice, easy swing and launches the ball 400 feet. Well – he takes a nice, easy delivery to the on the mound, and the ball's coming out 92, 93 miles an hour. So, if I were the Royals, I would I would definitely not stop him from pitching. But if they think he can hit, and if they think they just drafted, you know, again, I'm not comparing him to Aaron Judge, but if they think they just drafted the next Judge type of player in an underrated prep bat, that, and Judge obviously went to Stanford before he was drafted, but you know, an underrated prep kid with raw power that you can't teach. I, I don't blame him. I just I just think the pitching end would work out better, but we'll see. Well, it's kind of nice to have that fallback option. It's almost like you're drafting two players. You know, if he doesn't pan out as a hitter, you can always fall back to the pitching or vice versa. So I think it was a pretty shrewd pickup in the 20th round. Uh, you know, we, we've had this influx of talent, the draft, with the trades. What's kind of your overall state of the farm system? Because we, we have had a lot of graduations, too. I mean, Nick Prado is still on some prospect lists, but we expect him to kind of graduate off that list pretty soon. Vinny Pascantino as well. Michael Massey could very well graduate off those lists by the end of the year. Uh, you're, you know, we we're seeing some kind of midseason prospect updates. Not a lot of Royals on those lists. Uh, Gavin Cross, I think, jumped onto the MLB pipeline list at number 75. They also have Nick Prado, uh, who, who, again, will probably graduate off that list. But where do you kind of... You know where do the Royals stand as far as uh, 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 it kind of uh, the the depth of the farm system, the quality of the upper level talent? Are they where they need to be, or is there is there some work they need to get done there? Yeah, so they still have a really deep farm system. In fact, you know some of the guys we left off the list aren't terribly far away from the guys in our top thirty. Some of the guys in our top thirty in terms of like their their grades. So 
Tucker Bradley, who we had at number thirty on our on our midseason top fifty, is probably a forty plus. Like he is maybe a role player with the ability to be a fourth outfielder. So a semi a semi um, everyday like the the bigger half of a platoon, but he's more than likely just a utility bat off the bench. Well, the guy that we had at number. Um, Who's a good example that we left off? But, but there, anyway, there are guys we left off, like Logan Porter, who's like a 35-plus. So you're, he's just right behind Tucker Bradley in terms of grade. Or like a Chandler Champlain, who we had at the in the lower 40s, is also probably a 40-plus. Like There's just a lot of guys that fit this range of maybes. Like the, the, the chances of them reaching the big leagues in some capacity are very high but the chances of them being an all-star are almost none. The Royals have a ton of that right now. They have a ton of filler depth, which is good. You have to have that. In 2015, they needed somebody to come up and help out in right field or help out at second base or whatever, and they had nobody. They almost had to go out and get that in the trade market. Now they have guys who could legitimately come up and fill the role. They only have a couple guys with some, you know, really electric ceiling in the top ten. Like Carter Jensen, who we had outside the top ten, has some has a, a crazy high ceiling. You know, Ben Caderna, Frank Mazzucato still have some ceiling in there. But for the most part, it's just a ton of dudes with really safe floors. And so it does create a lot of depth. But I think next year, as we get into the twenty twenty three draft and trade deadline, any moves that are made for prospects, we can return to. Let's go. Let's go hunt some ceiling. Let's go find more Austin Charles that we can put in. That hey, very volatile, not a ton of floor and a, not much of a safety net, but the the ceiling here is that of an all star, right? So, right now the portfolio is is full of different types of guys in terms of of playing style, but the the theme in the farm system right now is a very safe. Lots of 40s, 45s, and 40-pluses in terms of, you know, fillers, you know, back end of the rosters, but not a lot of all-stars in the system. Yeah, and we also we should remember, too, that sometimes these, these higher-ceiling guys are pretty volatile to development. I mean, Nick wasn't that long ago. Nick Prado and MJ Melendez kind of fell off the radar with a poor performance in Wilmington, and, of course, they, they go to the, the alternate site, work with uh, the, the new hitting development gurus, and... Uh, suddenly they turn their career around. So it's, I think still some hope for those guys. But I do want to talk to talk about your prospect list a little bit. I think it's really interesting. You can check it out at Royals Farm Report. You guys have your your top five, uh, top fifty rankings as well as some honorable mentions. But I think it's a, the top guys I think were, are really interesting because I think you have some names that maybe get overlooked by a lot of other sites. Uh, and one I'm looking at in particular is Tyler Gentry at number four, an outfielder there who's having a really solid season. Uh, talk a little bit about him because I think he's maybe a guy a lot of Royals fans maybe aren't as familiar with. Yeah, he's been unbelievable. Like he is making a joke out of minor league pitching, and you know he's 23, so it's not like he's a 21 year old doing this. Because if he was, he'd be a top 100 prospect easily. But if he didn't get hurt last year, I think we'd be talking about him as closer to a top 100 prospect than I think he is right now. He is raking, and I don't think people realize like he's been one of I don't know the 50 best hitters at Double A this year especially if you if you put an age filter on there. He is crushing the baseball. His OPS has hovered right around 1,000 for most of the season at AA. It'll dip under at like 990 right now. And then if he hits a home run tomorrow night, it'll be back up over 1,000. I mean, he just – it's been unreal. He, he walks a good bit. He strikes out a little bit, but he also hits for a ton of power. And it's it's easy power. Like he doesn't have to sell out to get that power because he's a big guy and, and he really he plays a good enough corner outfield to be serviceable out there he's not going to go out there and have the the mistakes that mj's made you know the, like that kind of mistake at the big league level because tyler gentry is an outfielder he always has been an outfielder and is he an elite athlete no but he covers enough ground and i think there's something to be said for like baseball instincts and I think we see it with Kyle Isbell all the time in the outfield where Kyle Isbell's not going to win any 60 yard dashes on the team he's not going to hit the ball further than everybody else he doesn't have a cannon for an arm 
but his instincts, the jumps he get, the routes he takes are so good that it's made him a viable center fielder. Tyler Gentry is not that fast, but he gets such good jumps and he takes such good routes and he's got a good arm that he could go to the corner outfield and be, you know, I don't want to say Andrew Benintendi, but kind of like that where the the tools never really meet what the eye and the and the metrics see and Andrew Benintendi wins a gold glove out there despite a high school arm. So, you know, I I think Gentry is being wildly underrated by most people, mostly because I think the industry has a hard time accepting when lower thought of guys turn it on. And we saw that with Vinny Pasquantino. It took Vinny Pasquantino doing it at the AAA level before people really bought in, I think. Vinny Pasquantino destroyed double-A pitching last year, and people were like, well, you know, he's a bigger guy, doesn't run well, first base DH, you know, is this legit, is it not legit? It's like everything we see says this is legit. You're just looking at a big, slower guy, and it's harder to believe in. Tyler Gentry, I think, is the same way. I think it's hard to believe in because we didn't maybe expect it, but if you look at every single underlying number that exists – Everything everything backs up what we're seeing on paper, which is which is fantastic. And I think he's going to have a shot to make the opening day roster next year. Yeah, and I think like some a lot of these evaluators too give a, a penalty for college guys that don't like immediately tear it up. And we forget he he was drafted in the pandemic year, so he didn't get to play minor league ball that year. Uh, so this is really his first. I mean, he, you know, he played last year in low and high A ball, and then this is like his first shot at, at, at the upper minors in double A. Um, yeah, certainly very impressive numbers. And with the outfield situation being what it is, I mean, it seems like there's an opportunity for him to start knocking on the door pretty pretty quickly. Uh, another guy, another uh, a guy that could be knocking on the door in the outfield pretty soon is Drew Waters, who the Royals acquired in July from the Braves. Interesting deal with him because he was a former uh, heralded prospect with the Braves who'd kind of fallen off the radar because of his numbers. But, man, he's been a sensation since we got him. What's What's changed with him and what do you kind of see in his game that you like going forward? I have no idea. Um, it's, it is so weird how a player can go from one system to a new system and look like an entirely different human being. It, it makes no sense. And so I wrote about it in his write-up. Um, like you said, on our rankings, so we had Drew Waters at number three. And if you go to the rankings, read his write-up, I'm like, his line drive rate is up almost 10%. His walk rate is up like 8%. His strikeout rate is up a little bit, but it's it's in the ballpark. His ISO, his isolated slugging, has like doubled. He's hitting more home runs. He's stealing more bases. It's like the Royals traded for the top 100 prospect that Drew Waters was and got him. It's like this is supposed to be a process. This is supposed to take time. It's not supposed to be – we trade for Drew Waters, and boom, he's a top 100 prospect again. He is still striking out a ton, and it is not concerning because I think concerning would imply that we didn't think he would strike out a bunch. We know he's going to strike out a bunch. It's, it's just part of his game. He's like, it's like Nick Prado in that way. But Nick Prado, despite the strikeouts, entering today's game, and we're recording on Wednesday night, so before he struck out twice today – he had a weighted runs created plus right around 100. It was like 98. If you took Drew Waters, put him in center field at Coffin Stadium, and guaranteed me a 98 weighted runs created plus, he'll be a three-win player. He is so good defensively. He can run, and he can hit for some power. If, he, if, you, if you can guarantee me a 98 weighted runs created plus, I would sign up for it, and I would, I would pr- press the magic button that guaranteed me no better, no worse, because that is going to be a valuable player. You bat him ninth in a lineup, he plays center field every day, he switch hits, he steals bases, and you never look back. So I I look at Nick Prado in terms of a guy that – of an example where strikeouts can be okay if you do X, Y, and Z well. Nick Prado is striking out a lot and still being valuable – even though he plays first base, where his positional value is, is killing him. Imagine if Nick Prada was a plus defensive center fielder, right? That, that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of an offensive approach, but Drew Waters can run and play center field. So I'm not going to try to convince you that Drew Waters will be better than Nick Prado. 
I think he'll strike out a little too much and not hit for quite enough power. But he doesn't have to be Nick Prado. All he has to do is be adequate, tread water. We saw how valuable Michael A. Taylor was last year with a weighted runs created plus in the 70s. He was 20% worse than the league offensively and still worth two wins. You add on 10% of offensive value, and all of a sudden you've got a three-win player that you traded a 35th pick for and got two other players in the deal. So, you know, the Royals, I think, have drawn a lot of parallels to kind of 2011, 2012, where they have a lot of young players coming up, but they, they maybe need another piece or two to help them kind of get to that next level. And there's been talk about, you know, is this the moment where the Royals need to make a big splash this offseason? Um, do they need to make a big trade? Do you feel like the farm system is at a point right now where we have the depth to go out and make a big trade? Or do you think it would be better to just kind of hold on to what we have, stick with the young guys, see what comes up, and perhaps we solve a lot of these problems internally? Yeah, I think they've, I think they've got plenty of pieces. And especially because the guys at the big league level now, you've got for six more years. And so you don't have to worry about having your farm system being stacked at the top for six years. Like Gavin Cross won't take six years to develop. You still have Nick Lofton, Tyler Gentry, Michael Garcia, Drew Waters right there on the brink of the big leagues ready to roll. I mean, you've got more guys coming. If, if I were the Royals, this would be the offseason where I'd go make a splash. You've got your young guys. We heard Vinny Pasquantino on MLB Network today saying we're tired of being called fun. We're tired of being called young. We just want to go win. And the best way to go win is to go find a guy to put at the top of the rotation with Brady Singer. And is it going to cost you some prospect capital? Yeah. Are the Royals really good at identifying their guys and, and trading pieces that hurt a little less than we think at the time? Yeah. Uh, think about what we all thought about the Will Myers-James Shields trade. Now, personally, I was like a freshman in high school, so I loved it. Or I'm sorry, no, I was more like a senior in high school. But still, I wasn't following the Royals minor league system like I am now. So I loved it at the time. But looking back on it, I can see why Royals fans – maybe didn't love it. Will Myers hit 40 home runs in the minors. He goes on to be an okay player. He wins rookie of the year. He's okay, but he clearly was not the player everybody thought he was when he was traded. Mike Montgomery, Jake Odorizzi all go on to be valuable pieces to big league teams, but nobody in that trade looking back, like the, the Royals clearly won that trade, right? They, they did a very good job of identifying who to send, who not to send, and, and, and did well in that trade. And you could say the same for the Zach Greinke trade in reverse, where they identified a few pieces. Really, my point is, when the Royals decide to make a splash, historically, this front office has done a really good job of making it sting as little as possible. The Johnny Cueto trade, they lost effectively nothing. It took them one big league asset to get Ben Zobrist to polish off that team. They do a really good job of, of making this work. So if I were them, I'd identify four guys they're okay parting with, and I'd go get your Pablo Lopez, your Zach Gallon, your Herman Mar Marquez, and, and put them up at the front with Brady Singer to show the city, the players, and the fans that we're ready to win, and, and here's the proof. So is 2023 going to be the year they'd go to the playoffs? Maybe not, but could a James Shields type of move put them in the right direction and get everybody on the right path? I think absolutely. No, I think it's a really good point about what the message it sends to the young players. Like you want, you know, the, the players want to be part of an organization that's moving towards something, right? They want to be, uh, you know, they want to win games. And you hear it in Vinny Pascantino. I was, I love the comments he made this week that they want to go win big games and they want organization that's going to support them doing that. And, and so you want additions to that major league team. And I think that would send a great message too. And look, we also have an ownership group that's probably going to try to push for either downtown ballpark or stadium renovations. So probably wouldn't hurt on that respect as well. So yeah, I, I, I would bet they at least try to make a big splash this winter. Uh, we'll see if they end up doing it or not, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting comments there on, on making a big splash. Uh, well, you can read all of Alex's work at Royals Farm Report, uh, RoyalsFarmReport.com. It's part of the KC Sports Network. You guys do a great job. You also have a podcast over there that I urge people to listen to. Uh, definitely check out their top 50 prospect list. Alex, thanks so much for being on, man. Max, I appreciate it. Keep spreading the good word about Nick Lofton every chance you get. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm tired of listening to people slight Nick Lofton. So 
any chance you get, Max, do the, do the good word of, of Lofton and we'll see you later. Well, I will. And I'd like that you guys do highlight some of the guys, the, the overlooked prospects because a lot of these guys, I mean, they, some of, you know, obviously not all of them are going to uh, pan out, but that's where we find the Whit Merrifields, the, you know, the, the players that are kind of overlooked you know, that, uh, that you guys have been on since the beginning. So I do appreciate that. And I appreciate all your insight into the Royals farm system. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to uh, Jeremy and Matthew about their Royals Review reviews. Well, we're back, and let's wrap things up with our Royals Review reviews. Matthew, why don't you lead it off for us this week? Sure. So um, I am I tend to be late on trends, um, especially when it comes to, like, very popular uh, video games or uh, TV shows. I didn't play The Elder Scrolls Oblivion until, like, 2012. This is, like, five years after it came out. Um, I made a joke about not playing Skyrim until like 2017 or something. I still haven't played Skyrim. Um, I didn't watch Stranger Things until like a year or two after uh, the first season. Um, I just like earlier this year watched the um, the sh- uh, Chernobyl, the show Chernobyl. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of late on it. Um, but um, I started watching uh, the TV show The Boys um, a couple weeks ago, last week. Um, just kind of, I just heard a lot of uh, good things about it, you know. And in the the modern world, if you can have memes and stuff on the internet about your show, like you keep seeing gifs of, of, of The Boys. And it, it, it looked, you know, kind of fun. Um, and I had uh, friends who had watched it and who had recommended it. Um, and I have to say that it's not for everyone. Like it's a very, you know, radar type of show. Um, I can really only watch one episode, uh, in a night. I can't watch two because it's, it's pretty, it's pretty stressful, but it's very fun. And I think that it has the most, uh, accurate probably depiction of what it would be like, um, if there were people with superpowers, um, in the United States. Um, I think some of the stuff that it does is, kind of a little bit edgy just for the sake of being edgy, which, you know, is what it is. But I think that the boys central premise, which is if there were people with superpowers that existed in the United States, capitalism would swoop in and there would be a money making apparatus around that whole existence of superheroes that would blunt the usefulness of superheroes. um, And there would be corruption and all that stuff. Um, And I think that central premise um, is is a lot more interesting than the type of like Marvel, just kind of, you know, Marvel does have some, um, you know, some some dark things uh, in it that happen certainly, but I think Marvel takes an unnecessarily optimistic approach on superheroes that aren't really what would actually happen, and so well, I think that the boys maybe leans into the violence and the sex a little too much. It's very, very interesting, and watching it, there's you know some episodes where I'm like, huh, that's you know that's absolutely what would happen in this in this scenario. So, uh, I I would recommend it if you were okay with um, you know kind of the the violence and the adult um, content of it, um, and I would also probably only recommend watching one episode an evening, um, but it's a good show and I like it, and it's very different from any other piece of superhero media that I've consumed. Yeah. I've had a couple of people recommend that to me, uh, but uh, it definitely looks R rated. So uh, I'll have to check that out as well. The boys on Amazon prime, I believe, right? Yes, that's correct. Jeremy, what do you have for us this week? Uh, first, let me just piggyback on that and say that as someone who does not like a lot of uh, gore or sex in my TV shows, uh, the boys is good enough that if you can stand it, it's still worth watching um, because I, I've watched all three seasons now and it's the, 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 the storytelling and the characters and the themes are fantastic uh, enough that the, that I am able to kind of just like shudder and move on when I, when it comes to the rest of the stuff. Uh, but as for my recommendation this week, I am, I'm going to recommend uh, talk about being late to the game i'm going to recommend another internet word game uh so this one's called waffle and it is based on it's based on wordle and uh you can find it at wafflegame.net and so the idea of this one is that you've got three words vertical and three words 
uh, across that are kind of in a waffle pattern, and you have 15 moves to attempt to uh, rearrange all the letters uh, into the six words. And uh, it's... It's uh, I I've really enjoyed it. I think it scratches a very similar itch to what Wordle does, um, but uh, it comes at it from a slightly different angle. I got tired of the the Wordle angle because you know uh, the, all the strategies came out. And it's like oh well, if you follow the ideal strategy, then you'll do this and blah blah blah. And it's just like ah okay, this is kind of getting old now. Uh, but Waffle kind of gives it a fresh new spin. Um, and so if you, if you also find yourself where you're like, yeah, I like word games, but Wordle is a little, I'm a little over it, uh, then Waffle is one that you might want to try. I was kind of hoping you were going to say it was a game that you identify waffles, (laughs) 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 but that that sounds fun too. So, uh, cool. My, uh, my Royals review this week is, uh, it's, it's, it's a lunch place in, in Kansas city. So apologies for those of you out of town. But um, we went to Our House on 39th and State Line by KU Med. Uh, there's a bunch of great restaurants in that area. Uh, uh, but uh, we went to Our House. I took my son out there. And uh, it's a great little place. Uh, I had the Burnt Ends Dip Sandwich, and it was fantastic. I've never had a Burnt Ends uh, Dip Sandwich, kind of like a French Dip Sandwich, uh, but with Burnt Ends, and it was amazing. Uh, they've got a nice little ro- rooftop uh, t- like uh, patio outside. Um, and it's kind of a cool, cool, funky vibe. They have, uh, I guess, brunch as well. Um, and I didn't know until after we left that it's apparently it's owned by a family that um, goes to my kid's school. So uh, I don't know them, but it, we did have a really good uh, lunch there, so I appreciate it. And uh, it's our house on 39th uh, and State Line. Check it out. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks to Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report for being on, and thanks for Jeremy and Matthew for uh, for being on as well. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey!